I didn't want to talk about it. I felt like something was wrong, but then again, I was like, he's my boyfriend. He told me that this is the way things are, um, and I believed him. The Your Life Sucks podcast, destigmatizing mental health through discussion. Hi all, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having super weeks and are feeling more settled into school than you were when you listened to my last podcast. It's mid-October now, so I hope we're all feeling a little bit more comfortable in our classes, friends, all that stuff. I feel like October is a good month in school because, like, it's not super intense yet. Actually, I shouldn't say that. This is probably the busiest academic week I've ever had in my high school experience. I have a math test and a physics test back-to-back. It's Wednesday when I'm recording this, and I usually release podcasts on Wednesday, so sorry I'm being a little late, guys. Um, But it's just been so busy, I'm just having the chance to sit down now and do this. But we're going to make it work. Today's podcast guest is Elise Belcher. She's 17 from the Kansas City area, and she's going to be speaking about so much. It is going to be heart-wrenching, it's going to be kind of brutal, but it's going to be very thought-provoking. I'm very excited for this, guys. Let's get to it. Oh, one more thing. There are workers in my house right now, so there might be a bit of background noise. I'm going to try to edit it out, so bear with me, guys. Hey, Elise, how are you? Good, how are you? I am tired and busy. How was your day today? It was actually really great. We had a half day at school, so Uh, I have just been chilling out since like one, which is great. That is so nice. I wish I had that. Actually, some some people, just because there's so much work this week, have just been leaving school early to do work and are like still going to bed at like 1 a.m. I I like how your school does that. Was it just like cuz or was it a special occasion? um, It was like teacher in service. So Uh, once a quarter, we usually get one of those days, which mm -hmm. I very much appreciate. Yeah, no, of course. I, I love that. Um, all right, let's get let's get to your story. We're going to start, I think, with you talking about your genetics, right? Yes. Yeah, let's get into that. All right. I have a genetic predisposition to a lot of mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. Um, a lot of my family members have struggled with um, various mental disorders and are on medication. From the second I was born, I have kind of unfortunately had the setup to struggle mentally, which is very frustrating because a lot of times you feel like you're fighting against yourself when it's really Mm -hmm. just the way you're wired. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And I'm taking a psych class now. We're learning. We're just starting the biological perspective of of psychology and it really dictates everything you do so you really are fighting against something you can't control so so let's talk about how your genetics actually unfortunately uh made you uh mentally ill in in your life ever since i can honestly remember which is crazy because you think back on your childhood it's all light things i've always had a semi-dark view of life and that's very weird and i thought that was normal because mental health isn't something you talk about especially if it's something negative that's not a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really started feeling that in ninth grade. So the transition between middle school and high school for me was a little tough, um, mainly just because I was a big athlete. I played a ton of sports. And then going into my freshman year, I quit all those sports. Mm-hmm. So Why'd you quit? Um, I wasn't happy. I was mainly just doing it because my sister was a varsity athlete. My dad was. And I felt that's like what I should do. It's comfortable. Got it. Yeah. So I quit those things. I pursued theater and debate, which have been the best decisions ever. Um, but in the moment, I felt like I was abandoning 
sort of my past self because that's where all my friends came from. Mm-hmm. And so I just got very lonely and felt more distant. I didn't fully understand that I had a genetic predisposition to clinical depression. So I thought this was a normal thought. I doubted myself. I questioned myself for feeling this way. So I was very... What do you mean you you questioned yourself? Yeah. So I thought I was just being dramatic. I Mm -hmm. thought my life is great. My parents are amazing. I have friends. There's no reason I should feel sad. Of course, going to high school is hard, but it shouldn't be this hard. I blamed myself Mm -hmm. for often feeling that way when it was really just an imbalance in my brain chemicals, which Mm -hmm. I discovered later. Um, But I really suffered with that for a long time until um, my sophomore year. That's when I finally started like trying to be like, hey, I need to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was a toxic relationship somewhere in your in your depression do you want to talk about that yeah so I as my freshman year I was really lost I was really confused I really craved having someone there something concrete I really did crave validation because Mm -hmm. my self-confidence was low because I felt like I was broken that I couldn't think happy thoughts and I need that from someone else unfortunately a lot of times what happens is people will jump into relationships to try to fill that void mm-hmm. people with low self-esteem do tend to seek out and and get into relationships when they're not mentally ready and that ultimately leads to toxic relationships like i assume we're about to get into yeah. and it's actually interesting people who have higher self-esteem are attracted and um are are attracted to other people with high self-esteem it's just a very interesting fact so so continue It was the first time someone, at least that I knew of, had a crush on me or liked me. And it was very romantic and it was young love and it was exciting. But I was very naive. He was much older than me. I had never even held hands with a boy before. This was the closest thing and it was a real relationship. I never had like somewhat relationship, nothing. He had a lot more experience than me and he made that known. He made that known that I'm naive. I don't know what's happening. He made it known that he knew what was happening. He's been in relationships and he really did take advantage of that. And unfortunately, that did lead to him sexually assaulting me, which took me a long time to come to terms with and put the label of sexual assault on what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you go into why? Yeah, mainly. And this is unfortunately, a large problem with a lot of people in relationships is you could never think that your partner would do that. You would mm-hmm. never think um, that this person that you trust, this person that you invite into your home would do some such a thing like that. And you also have this fear that people aren't going to believe that either. We have the idea of someone who will sexually assault women is some large man who has a criminal record and comes out from a back alley. And honestly, that's not true. For most cases, it is someone that you know. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's someone you're in a relationship with. So, and I didn't want to talk about it. I felt like something was wrong. But then again, I was like, he's my boyfriend. He told me that this is the way things are. Um, And I believed him because he started building that image up early. Um, I remember one time he even told me that consent is always a implied in relationships um which is terrible and that's literally what happened in like british common law times not Mm -hmm. 
2018. I felt like something was wrong, but you can't really talk to your parents about that because it's such a personal thing, especially with physical relationships is I'm sure no one of any age wants to talk to their parents about a physical relationship with someone, Mm -hmm. especially when an assault is involved. Um, Just because that's, I didn't want my parents to hear that. I didn't want my friends to hear that. And it took me such a long time to realize what had happened. And I kept denying that it happened. So I stayed in that relationship for another six months um, and continued to face assault that way um, because I thought that was normal. And once Mm -hmm. I finally confronted him about it, he turned it on me of I should have been more assertive of if I really didn't want it, I should have been more persistent saying no. And it was really like twisted my mind of I have these concepts of what consent is, what relationships are, but this person who I trust has violated all that, but I trust him. So what is the right way? Mm-hmm. And like a paradox. Thing, yes, exactly. So I was like stuck in this weird, weird world of, feeling lonely and feeling like I needed him, but knowing in the back of my mind, he wasn't right. And he was just being terrible to me, honestly. The sad thing is we aren't taught anywhere really in school of what consent looks like, how a healthy relationship should be. So as a 14 year old freshman, I had was clueless. So mm-hmm. I faced that for around a year and a half and it took a lot of therapy sessions and deep conversations and really um, digging into that topic to finally heal from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know there was another one. Well, actually, I don't know if it was just one, but one yeah. more large traumatic event that happened in your high school years. Um, and that was your disordered eating. Do you want to speak about that? Yeah. Tell us uh, when this tell us tell us when this disordered eating all started. Yes. So um I would say it started around the same time my clinical depression worsened. So mm-hmm. around freshman year. One thing that is a huge misconception that eating disorders and is really counterproductive to trying to fix disordered eating methods is Um, A lot of times eating disorders aren't about body issues. They're not about food. They're often about larger issues that are reflected Mm -hmm. in food. And absolutely, I felt out of control in my life. I felt like I was broken because I was constantly depressed. I felt like I couldn't keep control of my relationship. I felt that it was my fault that I was facing such a toxic situation. And the way I found my soul control was food. Um, because Mm -hmm. if you think about it, food is one of the only things we actually have control of. We control when we eat, what we eat, how we eat it. Like it was the one thing I felt kind of kept me grounded within myself. And I never really realized that was the reason until I was long into my recovery. I had started seeing a therapist my sophomore year and I was diagnosed with clinical depression and Through that, I got really comfortable with my therapist, told her about the um, eating disorder issues that I was having, and I got diagnosed with the binge purge type of anorexia. Mm -hmm. Do you just want to define that for us? Yeah. So people categorize eating disorders into anorexia and bulimia. That is 
it is a large spectrum of disorders. It is such a large spectrum, just like everything's a large spectrum, but especially, especially eating disorders. There, there are more atypical anorexia cases than there are regular anorexia cases. Exactly. Yes. And, um, so the main difference, so there's two types of anorexia. There's the restricting type and the binge purge type. And people get that conflated with bulimia because Mm -hmm. it does have that binge purge act. Um, aspect. But what goes along with binge purge anorexia is a dramatic weight loss along with um, restricting of some sorts where bulimia um, really doesn't have a dramatic weight loss. So that's the biggest um, difference between those. And that's something I didn't even know existed until I was diagnosed with it. Because I, like most people, had the idea it's bulimia or anorexia. Unfortunately, it often takes an experience with yourself or with a close one to understand the variety of eating disorders and their different effects. So after being diagnosed with that, I got a referral from my current um, just general therapist to see an eating disorder specialized therapist and dietitian. And we really broke down what my eating complex was. And what I discovered is that what I thought was controlling, what was keeping me grounded in life was actually controlling my life for me. And I had Mm -hmm. no Yes. Um, I made this Instagram post. This was like six, seven months ago. uh, And and the caption was letting go equals control. And it was pretty much about how some people just crave for so much control that it gets to be out of control. And and their control craving part of them is just dictating their entire life. And, and their, their real true self doesn't have any say. So I, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. But continue. Yeah, no, definitely. So that was one thing of, once again, I felt like I was trapped in a paradox. Um, I was mm-hmm. counterproductive when it was really just a desperate help for me to try to feel some control within my life. I really discovered that eating disorders aren't a shallow issue and it's not something to be ashamed of. A lot of people think it's just about vanity and only shallow, selfish people can have eating disorders. That is the opposite of true. People that have so much empathy and so much understanding of emotions don't and don't know how to deal with it often face eating disorders. Um, and I was definitely a case of that because I didn't fit the picture of someone who would be obsessed with their image or anything it was purely about finding control within my life right so tell us what your therapy process was like yeah so it was a late night and I was driving home and I was late for curfew and I knew I was just because my parents are very much like you're home at 11 or you're not going out ever again like they're that (laughs) Uh Um, so I was late and I was burnt out I had been doing a ton of things. Plus I was still, I can't remember if I was still in the relationship or I had just gotten out of it. Um, And I was facing all these eating problems and I just knew I was going to get in a fight with my dad and I didn't want to. So I went home and I just started, I broke down and I told them how I felt and everything. And they had the best response. They asked me not too many intrusive questions and what it ended with is how do we make you feel better how do we make you happy that's when we really started diving into things so what when was this when was this confrontation um this was in the summer like right before my sophomore year 
Okay. So I started going to therapy twice a week and then a dietitian once a week. Um, we decided that inpatient care would not be good for me. I am a person that thrives off of activities and breaking out of the norm. And that's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to be out in a space having people around me. And so it was really intensive. It was hard. I had to miss a lot of school, a lot of activities. And, but I think the hardest part was I never told anyone why I was missing these activities. I was right. So, What'd you tell people? Um, I said, I went to the chiropractor a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been to a chiropractor. Um, but yeah, so that didn't really catch on. Cause I have no idea what a chiropractor Practor, like anything about them besides they pop your back <laughs> so, uh, yeah and I remember it came up one day and we were talking it was a random conversation about like allergy medicine and we were just talking about like with my close group of friends uh, talking about what medications we were on and just to backtrack a little bit I ended up seeing a psychiatrist after months and months of working with talk therapy and things weren't working that well so I saw a psychiatrist to get my official diagnosis and a prescription for Mm -hmm. antidepressants and that prescription in combination with talk therapy and my dietitian has been the key to everything Mm -hmm. um yeah so I was telling them and then I was like well I'm actually on antidepressants there was quiet for a second and they're like what (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I explained my whole story and they're like they're like I mean I can see it because like I would isolate myself when I got in really depressive episodes but they're like you never really showed us and the that conversation really sparked such a different comfort level I felt with my friends they don't fully understand having a mental disorder because they don't but they understand more as though um what people suffer when they're going through um mental illnesses and they've been great supporters and great um just general allies for people with mental health which has been amazing and the hardest thing is like ripping that band-aid off just telling them I'm on antidepressants it so is yeah and because I had the fear of telling them that I was on medication because there's such a stigma around it one thing I fear that people think is she doesn't even want to try she just like got on medication because she could where I've been working so hard for months of trying to Um, better my mental health without medication. I still go to therapy now. It's not, it's just another assistance into making life a little bit more normal and easier. Totally, totally. And I'd also say that medication will not completely cure or solely cure an eating disorder. Medication will not solely cure depression. It will make recovery easier, but you still have to put in 100% of the work that you were putting in before. And it's really a bad misconception that people have. Yeah, exactly. Because I am still working every day on my mental health along with taking um, my medication. And luckily, I've been open about that. So um, I just know in my immediate circle of people, um, there's definitely a a better view of um, medication for mental illness. Mm -hmm. And just by you changing a couple of your friends, that probably has a bigger reaction than you think, because those people have now now have changed perspectives and then in in conversation with their other friends they're going to bring that change perspective and you are without realizing it or maybe you do realize and that's great you have created a chain reaction um so so good for you at least for ripping off that band-aid let's talk about your work with zero reasons why how'd you get involved with them 
So it was during COVID time. So it was the Mm. summer after my sophomore year. Um, A senior at my high school reached out and said, hey, I'm involved in this organization called Zero Reasons Why. And I was wondering if you want to get involved. I don't really know. We were kind of mutual friends. Like we had drawing class together, but it was kind of random. Mm -hmm. And um, we had had some Zero Reasons Why events throughout. So I knew that it was a campaign to help end the suicide in our specific county, um, which is, uh, it's Johnson County, which is in Kansas. And so- Is, Is suicide unfortunately too common in this county? Yeah. So we had- I think six years ago, we had suicides had doubled and a lot of superintendents, including from my school, all got together and like, we need to fix this. Our kids are suffering. How do we do it? And what they decided was the kids know how to. The students know what it's like to be a student in the 21st century. Um, and they can best support their peers. So they designed the framework of Zero Reasons Why and then handed it off to the teen council. And so now what we do is we have social media campaigns, which has been a majority of what we have been doing lately just with all the um, pandemic restrictions. Mm -hmm. And we'll have just events trying to reduce the stigma. And the biggest thing is literally spreading the word saying the word mental illness saying the word suicide is while it might be very simple it's very effective in just starting a conversation so that's the whole goal of zero reasons why and i got involved that year and now i'm my school's representative for zero reasons why so i've been doing events at our school we've signed banners and it's really been great after i've recovered from my eating disorder and my mental illnesses. I could not have done this while I was in recovery, um, not mm-hmm. the mental capacity. But now that I have an insight into it, I really love that my struggles and my hardships are now being used to help people. It kind of gives what you've gone through a greater purpose than just self-improvement. Yeah, That is great. That is so great, Elise. And, and to take the power that you've built and give it to other people. Very, very well done. Um, a final question, a final thought that I have. You briefly mentioned that mm-hmm. your friends now have a changed perspective because of your mental health story. Have you had any personal interactions? Have people ever come up to you in your school mm-hmm. saying, Elise, I'm struggling. What resources can you give me? Have you had these one-on-one interactions as your, your school's ambassador for Zero Reasons Why? Um, Yes, I have had a couple um, digital reactions with people who Mm -hmm. were either having suicidal ideations or just in a really dark place. One thing that Zero Reasons Why we always have training, um, they taught us that you are not a therapist, you are not a psychiatrist, you are there to support and lead them to the professionals. In one dire situation, I did reach out to their family to make sure that they were at home safe and they weren't harmed themselves but the main thing that you can do is be there be there to support whenever someone is says I need you call them immediately um, or anything like that just honestly being there and you don't always have to talk about their deep issues just ask them how their day is whenever someone is in that position because a lot of times people just want to be heard I love that 
you are trained to not be a therapist because it's actually very interesting people because I've now I've had this podcast for a little over a year now people come up to me and will be like Ben I I need your therapy right now I need I just need to talk to you and while I do think that I I can have deep productive discussions with people I'm not a licensed therapist I'm not a psychiatrist I'm not a I'm not a psychoanalyst so I can't I can't really give that support but can only uh lead people to it but continue yeah so like that was one big thing of it is not your responsibility to fix someone however when someone does place the responsibility of honestly their well-being in a situation that does involve suicide it is your responsibility to guide them to someone who can help their mental health improve and that's one thing um, that I struggle to realize is you can't take the burden of everyone's everything on you either. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you need to be there to listen to your friends and just be a good support system. But you also need to know when is it time to talk to a professional or um, talk to another friend about it or a parent and make sure you're watching out for yourself and making sure that you are healed before you open yourself um, up to being approached with really difficult situations like a suicide attempt or um, a mental health crisis. And I still, as a 17-year-old, as really any age, um, is not prepared to deal with that. But I'm really glad that um, Zero Reasons Why has told us the specific like suicide hotline, um, the places to call to help others. So it's just really valuable information that I think everyone should be taught because we all hope that it doesn't happen. We all hope we never get approached with that from our loved ones. But if it did, we want to be prepared. It should be treated as CPR training. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. you can save a life by knowing the suicide hotline. And you absolutely can. And it doesn't take four boring hours of compressing no. on a dummy. No, it's it just, doesn't. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah. So that's really what I take away from Zero Reasons Why is I've been able to help those um, two individuals, which is more meaningful than all the large events that I have done through Zero Reasons Why, um, because I know that I had a part in making sure that that person is here today. That's beautiful. Well done, Elise. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and how you've taken your story and given it a higher power um, into your work at Zero Reasons Why. Guys, check out Zero Reasons Why Instagram at underscore Zero Reasons Why. You can check out all their work there, all their resources. If you are struggling, please reach out. If you are in the Johnson County public school system, reach out to Zero Reasons Why. Or if you're not, there are plenty of resources online. Follow Elise on Instagram at Elise.Belcher. And of course, follow the Your Life Sucks podcast on Instagram at the Your Life Sucks podcast. We'll see you next time, guys.